This morning is one of my favorite weeks to preach because I love the giving of thanks. And and obviously it's the one we, we preach around Thanksgiving, but this topic has become really a weapon in my life. It has become something that has transformed my life, which is why I like to preach it. And so we're going to, if you have your Bible, if you don't, you need to get online and get your Bible, a Bible app, or, or find a Bible site. We are going to be using this. Now, see, Thanksgiving is not just this great hallmark idea, right? It is the Word of God. And so here's what, here's what I have concluded is that I align my life to the Word of God and it transforms me. My mind, my body, my soul, it transforms me when I align to it. So this morning, we're going to be reading a lot out of this. So I want you following along if you've got one. If not, you can just share with your neighbor. But this morning, I have titled this The Dynamic Duo because we are taking the topic of Thanksgiving and we're putting it on steroids today, okay? And so we're going to be talking about two dynamics the hand in hand together that will be a transformation in your life. I want to start though by talking about a couple of scientific studies that were done. So in recent years, we've learned that there is a deep neural connection between two things, gratitude and giving. There is a deep, I'm talking your brain right now, neural connection between gratitude and giving. They share a pathway in your brain. And so when we are grateful, our brains become more charitable. And so a study was done on a group of people that were hooked up to brain scanners, and they had to watch a computer move real money into either their own bank account or a food bank's account. And as the participants, um, as they watched this happening, they became more grateful, more altruistic uh, through a questionnaire, and they showed a stronger response in the reward. You have a reward region of your brain. This is why we like instant gratification. It, it ignites that rewards section of your brain. When they saw this, so that was lit up when they saw the charity giving the getting the money. This made me feel a lot better about mankind in general. That they they that ignited in them when they saw it wasn't going to their own bank accounts, but it was going to the food bank. So the researcher wanted to know by changing how much gratitude people felt, if that if the brain would react the same way. So she split them into two groups, and over three weeks, one group was journaling things they were grateful for. Anybody ever done a, a gratitude journal? Oh, well, by the end of this sermon, you'll all be doing gratitude journals. The other group was journaling, but it was non-gratitude things. It was just like recording what they, oh, I had French toast for breakfast or whatever. And, and so... After the three weeks, the people in the gratitude journaling group reported experiencing more thankfulness. 
What's more, the reward regions of their brain started responding more to charitable giving than to gaining money for themselves. There is something that happens when you take thanksgiving, the giving of thanks, and you partner it with generosity. There is something that it happens in your brain, but th that's just the natural. We're going to delve into even th the spirit today. But we often hear about giving. We often hear about generosity. But today we're linking them together to transform our lives. Okay? And so we're going to start with a little bit. In a moment, we're going to break down. We're going to look at Thanksgiving specifically. And then we're going to look at generosity. But for a moment, I want to lay a foundation concerning treasure. Everybody likes treasure, right? We all want treasure. So in Matthew, Jesus talks about our treasure, okay? And he says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Anybody ever have anything stolen from you? It's no fun, right? But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys or thieves break in. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where, every say that, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. And see, sometimes we think of it the other, it's not your, your heart, your treasure does not follow your heart. Your heart follows your treasure. And so when Dennis and Linda get up here once a month and talk about missionaries and our missions giving, and you think, wow, that's pretty cool. I I've never really had a heart for missionaries, though. I guarantee you, if you start putting your treasure there, if you start giving to missions, you're suddenly going to care about missions. If, if we get in uh, one of our missionaries to come through, at, like in maybe Indonesia. So Darren and I have supported uh, Jeremy Skinner in, in Indonesia. Suddenly, you care about what's happening in Indonesia. Why? My heart follows my treasure. And so if you look at the things you love, you, it probably is a reflection of where your treasure is at because it follows it. Now, treasure is not always about money. This is the foundation I want to lay down in this before we really get into the heart of it. This is not just about money. In this day and age when life is busy, sometimes what is even more precious to me than money is my time. So, okay, I've given to missions a bit. I'm gonna go on a missions trip to Cuba maybe. Do you suddenly start caring about Cuba? Yeah, you have you have you've given up time at work, you've given up time with family, you've invested time in going on a missions trip. Now that your treasure of time has been invested and there is your heart. So this is not just about money when we're talking about this topic today. This is about anything you hold dear. Anything that you hold dear is your treasure. And so when I put my time in something, when I put my efforts, my energy into something, my heart follows that. And so 
if we if we think of it in this way, there, there's okay. We're gonna get mathematical, Shelley. This is the extent of my mathematical ability. Shelley teaches math at ISU. This is the extent of my mathematical ability. First, we're going to subtract thankfulness without generosity equals you being thankful for things which you care about in your life. Let me say that again. Thankfulness without generosity means you're thankful for the stuff that revolves around you. But now we're going we're gonna to go to adding. Thankfulness with generosity, with putting forth your treasure, equals being thankful beyond yourself. It becomes a spaciousness in your life, and it opens up opportunity for you. Okay? And, and so this is the power of this dynamic duo. When we take thankfulness and we add generosity, your life suddenly is open to many opportunities. An example of this, let's go to Acts chapter 10, the life of Cornelius. He's one of my heroes. Yeah. Okay, so we, just a real quick backdrop. You know, if um, God's special people were Israel, if you are Israel, if you are of Israel, you are a Jew. If you're not of Israel, you are a Gentile. Okay, so are there anybody here that, that is a Jew? I don't think I know of any of you, but... Okay, so nobody here is a Jew, and so we are all Gentiles in this room. And so the Jewish people had a lot of laws, right? And one of them was there was not, the Gentile would be considered an unclean person, right? They had rules of cleanliness, uh, things they could eat and not eat, things they could touch and not touch, certain hand washing, and so up until this point, the death and resurrection of Jesus was the plan of salvation for Israel, not for the Gentiles. But something happens, and a doorway is opened for which everyone, Cornelius should be like the leader of us all here because we're all Gentiles. And so there's a transition that happens in the New Covenant that we're going to read about. And so up until now, remember, there was, they were not one. The Jews and Gentiles were not one people. They were two. And, and so Peter, the Apostle Peter, is having an encounter with the Lord in Acts chapter 10. In verse 9, he has a vision, and the Lord drops the sheet down, and there are all kinds, in verse 12, of four-footed animals of the earth and birds of the air. And a voice says, says, rise, Peter. Now, rise, kill, and eat. Now, Peter is saying, no way. I have had ingrained in me that no, I cannot eat bacon. That has been a part, we would not even come near the pig much less partake of the pig. And now Jesus is saying, Peter, rise, kill, and eat. And he says, Lord, I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And Jesus says to him a second time, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. And I find this interesting in verse 16. 
This was done not once, not twice, three times. Which was very interesting considering how many times did it take to restore Peter after he denied Christ? Three times. Jesus asks him, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Now, is there, there's, I'm sure that the significance of three years is Peter just hard-headed and has to be told again and again and again. And, and for something like this, this is a whole paradigm shift for the Jewish people to be allowed to eat after thousands of years of never touching unclean food to be told. You can now partake. Do not call it unclean anymore. I, I would say, are you sure, Lord? <laughs> are you sure? Are you really, really sure, Lord? I'm like, I'm not just hungry and I'm craving some of the Gentile food, right? Are you really sure that these things are clean? Three times. So while Peter is having this vision, Cornelius is having his own encounter. And so go back up to verse 1 of chapter 10, and we have a description of Cornelius. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius. He was a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment. He was a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. Here is this Gentile man who really is a man of faith. He, he prayed to God always, which you know had to have included a giving of thanks to the Lord, and he was a generous man giving alms to the poor. This kind of a man, who he, what did he have operating in his life? That dynamic duo of gratitude and generosity. And this, these characteristics drew the attention of heaven. How many of you want the attention of heaven in your life? I sure do. Well, there are things that are going to like be magnets for God in a life. And Cornelius had them. And because of these characteristics, he is chosen. And the angel of the Lord comes to him and says, I'm sending a man, I'm summarizing. You can go home and read this. I'm summarizing. I'm going to send a man to you, Peter, and you're going to welcome him into your home. And so he sends servants out to get Peter. They all manage to converge. Peter meets them and brings them to Cornelius' home. And so down in verse 33, it says, So I sent you. So I sent to you immediately, and you have done well to come. Now, therefore, we are all present before God to hear all the things commanded you by God. So Cornelius has gathered his family together, his household, his servants, and said, Okay, Peter, I have sent for you. Here we are. What do you have to say to us? And verse 34, Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. In this moment, Peter realizes this is not about food or clean and unclean. This is about a whole people group being brought into the plan of salvation. And he begins to present the gospel 
to Cornelius's household. And in verse 44, it says, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard the word. And those of the circumcision who believed, the Jewish people, were astonished as many as came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. And Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. This is an amazing moment. This is the open door for you and me to come into the plan of salvation that only had belonged to the Jewish people. The way was opened for us as well. This is how good and how generous our God is. And it came through a man that prayed and gave thanks and was generous. Wow. When that is at work in our lives, what does it do? It opens you up to possibilities you never would have thought of in your life. Cornelius was a forerunner for us. And so let's take just a few moments and take, first of all, a look at thankfulness. This is one of my favorite topics because the Lord really brought a lot of breakthrough in my attitude and my thinking through understanding the power of this. And so at the end of service, we're going to be coming around the table of the Lord in communion. And this is really the heart of giving thanks, is the table of the Lord. Now, how many of you come from a denomination where, for you, this is a common term, the Eucharist? Deidre? It must just be us two Catholics. This is, what, this is what we call the bread of the Lord is the Eucharist. And it's, it's a very, in the Catholic Church, a very special time. You're not allowed to take communion until you are in second grade. And this is a celebratory moment in the life of a child. You, the girls wear beautiful white dresses and veils, except for my mother that had to be different and have a barrette made for me with white flowers. And then she was upset because she paid all this money to have it made, and I was upset that I was the only girl without a veil. <laughs> the boys are all in their suits, and if you are... If you go to parochial school like I did, the priest will come over for a practice run. And it's a very exciting day because he brings real wine for you to have in class. And so then on that Sunday when we receive our first communion, um, it's a day of celebration. With, there's usually party following, a celebratory party and gifts for the one that has received their first communion. And so... This is a very honoring thing of the Eucharist, the body of Christ, within the Catholic Church. And so I think it's why this teaching is so connected with me, having this be such a part of my life, to take it to the new place in Christ. Not just an outward motion of partaking of communion, but internalizing it with the Lord. 
And so in Luke chapter 22, Jesus is, is celebrating dinner with his disciples. And in verse 17, it says that he took the cup, he gave thanks, and he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, here is the big connector for me. That, that phrase, give thanks, comes from the word Eucharisteo, the body of Christ, the blood of Christ. And so whenever I celebrate the table of the Lord, I am celebrating Eucharisteo, the giving of thanks. And so what that translates into my daily life is that when I am intentionally engaging in the giving of thanks throughout my day, day by day, I am at the table of the Lord engaged in Eucharisteo, the giving of thanks for the body and blood of Christ. This transformed how I viewed my day. I began to look for things to give thanks for, because in my giving of thanks, I was participating in Eucharisteo, the body and the blood of Christ, the communion with the Lord Jesus. And so the table of the Lord is not just something that is celebrated right here with us today. It's not just celebrated when I have it, I bring the, the elements at home sometimes and have it by myself. Eucharisteo happens when I am in my shop, when I'm driving down the car, when I've had a difficult day, and I begin to give thanks, I am engaging in the table of the Lord. As often as you do this, he said, remember me. Listen, the giving of thanks is not a nice Hallmark card. It is entering into communion with the Lord. That's powerful. That will transform your life. You have a negative attitude, negative thinking. Listen, we talked at the beginning about how the, the thankfulness and the generosity share the same brain pathway. They can see, if they take pictures of your brain, toxic pathways from negative thinking. You can see it in your brain. They're very ugly, dead tree-looking things that form in your brain as a result of toxic thinking. What happens when you begin to give thanks, though? You begin to form new pathways through your brain. You begin to break the stronghold of the old things. You begin to renew your mind in Christ Jesus when you begin to give thanks. Why I, You say, I struggle with negativity all the time. I really have trouble with this think, toxic thinking of negative thoughts. I would say to you, engage in Eucharisteo. Remember the body of your Savior and give thanks, and it will change your brain. It will change your thinking. It's not just a nice thing, man. This is a tool that you need in your life. The more you engage in Eucharisteo, 
the more your mind will be transformed, how you look at your life, how you look at your family and your relationships and your job will change. It will change when you engage in Eucharistio. When you give thanks, you participate in the table of the Lord. It's a powerful thing to give thanks. And Daniel, I want you to go over to Daniel chapter 10. Daniel's another hero of mine. Daniel, as a teenager, is taken into Babylon, into captivity. He was a young Jewish teenager. He was very intelligent. He had a gift for languages. He had a gift for culture, um, books, and education. And so he was brought into Babylon to serve in the king's palace. And from the very beginning, Daniel had made a stand. I'm not going to do this your way. I'm doing this God's way. And as a result, he was, the Lord honored that. And he had risen up through the ranks and had favor in Babylon. And so in Daniel chapter 10, actually, go to 6. The 10 came from Acts. We're supposed to be in Daniel 6. So in here, here's where we find him now, after he's been living in Babylon and risen up through the ranks. So what you find is that King Darius has set over his kingdom 120 satraps to rule over the kingdom. Over those 120, there were three governors of whom D Daniel was one of them. So he was one of the top three men in the land. In verse 3, it says, Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. So now the king is saying, I want to make Daniel number one. Well, this did not set well with the other governors, as you can imagine. Who does this foreigner think he is going to be the leader of us all? And so they decide to set a trap for him. They know that because of his excellent spirit and his character, that there's no way they're going to entrap him unless it has to do with his God. And so Daniel has been known to three times a day in his house pray and give thanks to the Lord. So they say they set before the king a new rule for the next 30 days. Nobody can pray to any other God because they knew Daniel's going to pray. And so sure enough, now the king is not realizing what these guys are doing. He signs the decree in verse 10 when Daniel knew that the writing was signed. What did he do? He went home and in his upper room with his window open, not hiding out in the closet, he goes up and he throws open the windows and he, he, it, and this is toward Jerusalem. Remember, he's in a foreign land. So his window's facing Jerusalem, his home. He kneels down and on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since his early days.
Listen, this can't be, well, I gave thanks for a week and it didn't work. Listen, this was as was his custom since his early days as a young teenager. Three times a day, he knelt and prayed and gave thanks. And when the time came where he's faced with being thrown into the den of lions to be eaten alive, is he moved from his position? No. Has fear come into him? No. Has doubt come in? Where have you, where are you got now? No. This has been an established custom to give thanks. And he does what he has always done. He has not changed who he is. And sure enough, he gets thrown into the den of lions. This is also a great story for you to go home and read if you haven't. And the king was very disturbed by it all. He really didn't want to put Daniel in the den of lions. But the next day, the king rose early, verse 19, went searching. And the king says, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? And here it is. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth so that they have not hurt me because I was found innocent before him. And also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. What kind of man is able to do that? A thankful kind of a man. And the giving of thanks isn't for when life is all a bed of roses. It's good to give thanks then. But there's something that happens, something that happens when you give thanks and you're facing the lion's den. God comes through. What kind of a person do you want to be? I want to be a Daniel. And that means when I don't want to, when I'd rather complain and grumble over how hard my life is, I rise up and I give thanks. Right? We sang it today to our soul. Get up, O soul. Praise the Lord. Give thanks. I know you don't want to. I know you're acting like a little two-year-old. I don't want to. But who's in control? Get up, soul. Praise the Lord. Give thanks. And so we take the power of that thanksgiving, which is powerful enough in itself, and now we pair it with generosity. Oh, man. This unstoppable person that is thankful and generous. You all have heard me say often enough my life verse in Proverbs 11. One person gives freely and gets more. That was me paraphrasing. Another withholds and comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will himself be refreshed. At your time when you think you're at your most weary point, that is the time to find somebody to refresh. That is the time to pour out to somebody else. Your flesh wants to draw back and try to, you know, comfort it. 
but, but these are the principles of the living word of God. When we follow them, you step into the supernatural realm of God's kingdom and God's ways. And his promise is, if you are a person that refreshes, you will be refreshed. Praise the Lord. So let's picture this for a moment. Let's picture generosity and the opposite of generosity, which would be stinginess, right? So I'm going to give you a list of synonyms to kind of give you an overall picture of which kind of life you would like to live. Okay, so the first one would be synonyms for a stingy person. Greedy, miserly, narrow, grasping, judging. Those last three I found narrow, grasping, and judging. That sounds like a sad life. The synonyms for generosity abound, increase, enlarge, overflowing, surpassing grace. Now, which life would you rather live? The, the narrow, grasping, judging life or the enlarged, overflowing life of grace? As I was writing these lists, here's the picture that came to my mind. It's such a spiritual picture. It's going to blow your mind away. Who would you rather be? The Grinch or a who from Whoville? The who from Whoville who said, that says about them, every who down in Whoville, the tall and the small, was singing without any presence at all. I know some of you, you do know the Grinch, right? How many of you, is there anybody that's not seen the Grinch? If you haven't, then we need movie night. <laughs> you need to go home and watch it because it'll give you a very spiritual lesson. The Grinch had a very narrow, grasping life. He had nobody in his life except that little dog. The Whovilles are this interconnected community of generosity and love, of sharing. We don't want to live in Grinch land. We want to live in Whoville, right? There's a, here's your spiritual picture now. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul is, is bragging on a group of people for their generosity, the Macedonians. They are the greatest example for generosity. And, and so in verse 1, Now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial... Their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, and they exceeded our expectations 
They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Out of extreme poverty, out of extreme trial, they gave first of all to the Lord and then to them, to the people. This is, here's what they were able to grasp. They were able to grasp that the ways of the kingdom result in the law of reaping and sowing. And if you understand that law, then, then it's easy to be generous. And so this is where you're going to need your Bibles and, and we're getting close to 1130. So I'm going to read through these pretty quickly, but I want us to have some basis here in second Corinthians nine. It says, this I say, who who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Let each one gives as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have abundance for every good work. When you sow you sow out of the abundance he's given to you because you have sown. Verse 10, now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. While you are enriched in everything for all liberal, why are you enriched? For all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. It's the law of reaping, sowing and reaping. And so if I sow one tomato plant in my garden, I will reap a certain amount of tomatoes. If Stephen sows 10, when I run out of tomatoes, I'm going to have to go see him because he's going to have an abundance. Why? Because he sowed more. And so you say, why does that person just seem to like, Blessings just keep flowing back to them. Well, I can pretty much guarantee you they have sown generously. And I love that this, again, is not even about money, about every good work, and it will increase the fruits of your righteousness. Yes. And so are we being sowers? And, and this is where we hear that word generosity, and, and that's why I wanted to talk about our treasure, because this is not just about money. In, in Galatians 6, it says, he who sows to the flesh is going to reap from the flesh. If you sow to the Spirit, you're going to reap for the Spirit. This is beyond just our giving. This is about the kinds of things we are sowing in our life spiritually if you are sowing thankfulness you're going to reap it but you're going to reap that peace of mind mind back and then in matthew 7 it goes even beyond that into in this context it's that of judging hey judge not and you shall not be judged condemn not and you'll not be condemned forgive and you'll be forgiven what does that mean if you're not forgiving? You reap what you sow. We like to say this verse around offering time: "Give, and it will be shaken. It will given be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken 
and running over into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Again, this is not just, it is about finances, but it's not just about finances. If you are judging everybody around you, you will be judged. Why is everybody always judging me? Probably because you're judging everybody else. It's quite simple. It's not a difficult principle to understand. I was thinking about this um, as I was thinking about this law, and I remember a time back, Darren and I used to have a minivan, and we were getting a new vehicle. And so there was a, a young family in the church, and we felt like we were supposed to give our vehicle to them. And so we gave them our vehicle. And I was thinking about, I thought we gave one vehicle away. And do you know, we have had four vehicles given to our family. Gave one away, had four given to us. And even of even greater amazement to me is that two of my kids have given vehicles away. I love that. You reap what you sow. And when we're, when we're talking about this generosity, I didn't want to leave it without addressing this one thing. There's a verse in 1 Timothy chapter 6, and this is where I want us to have a right perspective about when we're talking about generosity, specifically with money. Because, you know, you get, how many of you said, well, if I bought a lottery ticket, Lord, if I win this lottery ticket, I'm going to give it, you know, do this, this, and this, give away, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Dale. Dale will set you straight. Go back and talk to him. First Timothy 6 says, Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good that they may be rich and in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. This is a passage that was written to wealthy people. And so we can read that and say, well, that is not me. That is for the people that live down the road in that neighborhood the wealthy ones down there. What I want to give you is a little bit of correct perspective in this because the truth is is that the World Bank in 2022, the, the country that has the most wealth of all of the countries, the United States, China behind it, and then the others are just a fraction of that. Beyond their definition that a person in poverty is a person that makes less than $2.15 a day, they define poverty as hunger, lack of shelter, being sick and not being able to see a doctor, not having access to school or knowing how to read, not having a job, fear for the future, living one day at a time, losing a child to illness brought about by unclean water. 
listen, I pay a dollar fifty and go have my five gallon filled up because I don't want to drink the water out of my sink. And yet right now around the world, there are sick cultures because they have unclean water, no access to clean water. Powerlessness, lack of representation and freedom. These are all things that they have defined as poverty. I'm sure Rachel could talk about this all day from the Salvation Army. And I'm not saying that we do not have cases of poverty where we live, because we do. Because uh, there is a spirit of poverty that can be at work within even those that have wealth. But I want us to have this right perspective that this is not just talking about the ultra-wealthy down the road. The Western church in America is a very wealthy church. And if we do have poverty in our midst, we surely have the resources to deal with that, right? The Macedonians found a way out of their severe trial, out of their severe poverty, to provide for others. So I want us in generosity, I'm not trying to make us feel bad for what we have, because what did that verse say that the Lord gives us? He wants us to give richly that we can enjoy. So I'm not saying feel guilty about what you have, but I'm saying let's change how we view what our resource is to operate out of generosity in, because we have more than we, ha than we realize we have. And as we take what we have and we are generous with it, then the Lord will, he will pour. It's, listen, it's called a law of sowing and reaping. It will, it works in the kingdom. And so to conclude this morning, there's an account in Luke chapter 7 of a woman that she operated in thankfulness and generosity. In, in Luke chapter 7, verse 36, Jesus is in the home of some Pharisees. That would be the religious leaders. A woman comes in. I'm going to ask if the team would go ahead and come back up. So he's in the home of the Pharisees. And in verse 37, it says, Behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil, and stood at his feet behind him weeping, and she began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with oil. And the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this and he's mumbling to himself, well, Jesus should know if he's really a prophet, he should know who this woman is. He should know what manner of woman this is who is touching him for she is a sinner. And then Jesus, Simon, I have something to say to you. <laughs> Anybody ever had him say that to you? Cammie, I've got something to say to you. 
And he begins to tell the story about the person that loves the most. And he said in verse 44, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. But she's washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with the fragrant oil. This rock, they say this could be a year's wage of oil that is being poured out upon the feet of Jesus. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. And he says to the woman, your sins are forgiven. And then he says to her in verse 50, your faith has saved you, go in peace. Listen, this woman, before she even had experienced the... the the forgiveness of Christ there was something in her that knew who he was and before she had even received any from him in this act of thankfulness for who he was and what he was able to do began to pour out a thankful worship to him and she was generous with her offering wasn't she she withheld nothing in the home of this religious leader she comes in and cares nothing about her reputation, but she begins with this heart of thankfulness and worship to love and care over Jesus. And in return, what does it do? It attracts the notice of heaven. It attracts Jesus. And he says, your sins are forgiven. Not only that, but now I want you to walk in peace no longer defined by your reputation, no longer carrying the shame of being known as a woman of sin. She didn't carry that anymore. Why? She walked in thankfulness and generosity. And so this morning, we're going to come to the table of the Lord if the ushers would begin to distribute. And as they do, as you receive your Eucharist, I want you just to remember the moment that you were that sinner. And maybe that's you now. Maybe you have never received Christ as your Savior. This is the moment to do it. It's this great, beautiful exchange where you take your sin and your guilt and you lay it at the feet of Jesus and he takes it and instead he gives you forgiveness he gives you mercy he says no you don't you're not going to be held accountable for that sin anymore i took it on the cross and all it is is saying jesus i receive what you have done for me i give you my sin and i ask for your forgiveness the great exchange the great exchange. And so as you partake of this Eucharist today, I want you to renew your commitment 
my goal, because Jesus didn't put a limit, we usually celebrate together the table of the Lord here once a month. But Jesus said, as often as you do this. And so my goal, my personal goal is to see how often I can remember Christ. How often as I give thanks throughout my day, can I remember Christ? That's the goal of your Monday morning when you wake up. Lord, how often today can I remember you? Your Monday might look a little different than it usually does. And if in that remembering of the Lord, you find opportunities to be generous. Now you've, now you've called the attention of heaven. Now you've called the attention of heaven. Thank you, Lord. Jesus. And so, just as Jesus did, when he had the day, I love this in Corinthians, it says, on the night in which he was betrayed. He always brings us back and calls us to the hard place to do this in. On the night Jesus was betrayed, this is what he did. He took the bread and he gave thanks. And the places of offense, of betrayal, you take up the bread of Christ and you give thanks. He broke it and he said, take, eat this as my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so Jesus, in this moment, we take your bread, your body, your broken body. And just as you did on the night of your betrayal and all of our messiness of life, we give thanks. We hold up the Eucharist and we give thanks. Just take a moment in your heart and just to begin to give thanks to Christ. He's taken our sin. He's taken our shame. He's taken our reputations. He's taken our mess-ups. And you may have messed up yesterday. You may have messed up today. But his mercy is new every morning. And so every day we, we take up the body of Christ and we give thanks and we partake of it. And so let's as one body today partake of the body of Christ. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup 
is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. I want to proclaim it till he comes as often as I can. Amen. And so, Jesus, as we partake of your cup, the new covenant, the, the new covenant says we can freely enter the throne room of heaven without fear, without condemnation, because you shed your blood for us. You died in place of us. In remembrance of your sacrifice, we partake today. Let's partake. Okay. Praise the Lord. Now, here's what we're going to do. When you engage in the giving of thanks, when you engage in generosity, I'm changing you guys up and I want to conclude with gratitude. There are strongholds that can take over a mind, over your, over your body, and the power of giving of thanks is, is, the, is engaging in the table of the Lord, the communion of the Lord. And so if you said, I've really had a lot of trouble with this. I've had trouble giving things. I've had a complaining spirit. I've had a bitter spirit. The answer is to begin to give thanks. The answer is to tell that soul of yours, stop your complaining, enter to the table of the Lord and begin to give thanks. The answer is to find somebody that has been wounded and hurting and begin to release the gospel message to them, to begin to refresh them. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to finish out today. This is a week of celebration. It's a week of giving thanks. And if that's been something you've struggled with, this is how you get rid of it. And so as we conclude today with this song, I want you, if you've struggled with it, I want you just to begin to sing this with all of your hearts. I want you to begin to command, let your spirit man rise above your soul man and begin to say, hey, no more of this. No more of this. Like there's a new sheriff in town. You've controlled me way too long. And now my spirit man is saying, uh, we're going to do something new. We're going to have a new way of living right now. We're going to begin to give thanks. We're going to begin to be generous. We're saying, I'm not carrying this, this, this old man, these old attitudes, these old bitternesses. No, there's a, a new way of the kingdom that's happening within me. Amen. So let's stand and let's just conclude at this time of consecration to the Lord of saying, this will be who I am. You got to just say it. This will be who I am. I'm making the decision today. This will be who I am. Praise the Lord.